the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross. Oh, man, I just got done with a both fun and interesting interview. I think you're going to really like it. It's with the first Democrat to declare his 2020 candidacy for president of the United States, the OG of the Democratic contenders in 2020. He's a former congressman from Maryland. John Delaney was my guest. Uh, we talk about uh, his signature initiatives like the Heartland Fair Deal and whether he took any cues from what's been discussed with the Green New Deal and or Donald Trump's The Art of the Deal. You won't be surprised by uh, his answer to that. Uh, we talked about health care and how he believes it's a right that everybody should have, yet uh, his policy differs from what uh, Bernie and others are proposing uh, involving um, he wants to, to both have a public and a private option. We talk about, and I think this is really the most important substantive part of the interview, his sweet merch store, which contains, um, what are they, not mind erasers, uh, memory erasers, mind erasers. That's an alcoholic drink. He's uh, just just to be clear, John Delaney is not running a bar out of his merch store online at johndelaney.com. But you should go check it out, johndelaney.com. Uh, these erasers, though, they're like you just they're like school erasers that you would have, and uh, as as they say on the site, you just put them under your pillow. You wake up in the morning, and all of a sudden. Uh, Trump was never president of the United States. We also talk about impeachment and corruption uh, and how he is a proud moderate and why he believes that bipartisan coalitions are, are uh, can be achieved and are the way to go in cornering Mitch McConnell, which I tell him is like a Jedi mind trick if he can do that. But I think you're going to like it a lot. Um, if you have a chance, please, not if you have, do it. Subscribe, subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends about it. Share it, and um, and share it with loved ones around the holidays. Get it as a as a present. It doesn't really cost anything, and uh, yeah, they'll be hopefully a little bit more informed and hopefully a little bit entertained. And oh, we have some new fake sponsors from our fake sponsor spokesman, the one and only Jake the Snake Craney. So uh, you're gonna. I want you to. Listen, there's spice throughout this interview. Uh, here's one coming up right now. And, of course, my interview with former congressman, presidential candidate, John Delaney. Today's podcast is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Capital Chill, D.C.'s dopest spot for sweet treats. Back again, apparently with tons of cash to burn on podcast advertising. New flavors for summer include AOC Acai, the Alex Jones, which is just a large bowl of ice cream with four times the daily recommended dose of caffeine with a dash of cocaine and commercial-grade gasoline, and our best seller, the Chili Bill Bar which is just a cup of ice chips. Uh, but at $1, you can't beat that price. Mention the podcast and get two free Muller Crullers. These things are so dry, we can't give them away. Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross, and today my guest. He was the first Democrat to announce his 2020 candidacy for President of the United States, the OG of the Democratic roster, uh, a former congressman from Maryland's 6th Congressional District, John Delaney, thanks for being my guest. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. 
so I, 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 like I mentioned, you were the first one to declare. I know you've been in Iowa. Uh, what is like, first of all, like, I guess it is such a crowded field. There are enough candidates uh, on the Democratic roster to, I feel like, field an actual NFL roster, oh, including, you know, OTAs and minicamp. Uh, but like, how do you stand out among a crowd, you know, of, of so many different candidates in, in a lot of notable names? Well, Justin, I think, you know, I actually think I'm somewhat the obvious choice. Um, and the more that get in the field, I think the more apparent that becomes, I mean, if we want to beat the president in 2020, which should be the number one priority of the democratic party, we're going to need to do it with a moderate because this, uh, election is going to be fought in the center. And it needs to be with someone who's solutions-oriented, like I am, who's got new ideas, like I do, and is focused on addressing what I think is the central issue facing this country, which is how divided we are. And uh, I'm really the only one running on those set of principles as the bedrock in many ways of my campaign. So I really believe in my heart and soul that I'm the leader this country needs at this moment in time. And uh, that's why I believe I'm going to win and beat Trump. But before you get, and I want to talk about, you know, where you, your your platform, and like you said, uh, being a moderate, running openly as a moderate in a in a field where there's a lot of progressives uh, in it. But how do you just like from a just getting your name out there from 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 that standpoint, from almost like a branding standpoint? I mean, Bernie, for instance, like Bernie's got feel the burn. Like, do you have something like a creative, fun slogan, you know? Like, I, I saw recently you uh, you just tweeted about Joe Biden declaring that he's the only real Irishman in the race. Like, maybe something like, uh, you know, like, what is it? Biden's for Cheney, but I'm with Delaney. Like, what, what do you got for me? Uh, well, you know, uh, that is the big question, which is how do you create an exciting brand around a problem solver? Because one of the problems with politics these days is that our uh, elected officials haven't been honest with the American people. And I think in many ways have uh, deceived the American people. But in that rhetoric, uh, you know, it, it, you, you kind of get a very distinct brand sometimes, right? Build the wall right. or, you know, Medicare for all or these kind of things, right? Which each of those things is not good policy in my opinion. And so the central challenge a moderate faces is a pretty obvious one, which is we're the responsible candidates. We're the ones who actually believe you should roll up your sleeves and get things done, that the point of government is not to entertain us, but to uh, solve problems that uh, the American people face. So, so and so it doesn't let the weakness of the moderate candidate or the centrist candidate or the problem-solving candidate is they don't lend themselves to uh, bumper stickers quite as well. I mean – you know, the, the truth matters is one that we've uh, kicked around um, because I think that's a big uh, issue we have is we have elected officials and candidates really not being honest with the American people about how we solve these problems. Well, I, I will say you have a pretty amazing uh, merch store. I checked it out. You've got the memory eraser. I guess you like that. I, I, I love that. I, I mean, I honestly, I think that's... Uh, you may not have have the flashy bumper sticker yet, but those memory erasers—you throw them under your pillow if people don't know—and uh, you wake up in the morning. You know, for, for that compliment, we're going to send you one for free. Oh my god, I, I love that. Well, I and I, I don't mean to try to. I mean, well, okay, fine. I do mean to use this podcast to get free stuff, but uh, the 
Delaney Caucus Cooler is also something else. You take a large gulp of courage and a deep draft of democracy every time you sip. So I think you like that. if I can get the eraser and the cooler combo, uh, you may have my, I mean, I will say you'll have my vote. You'll have my vote. Cool. That's all it takes for me. <laughs> Good. Well, you know, so, uh, you know, we'll build from there. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you about being a moderate because I think that like that is, it's something that I, I'll, I'll be honest. I find that to be not just a challenge maybe from like a branding standpoint, but also from an actual getting stuff done standpoint, right? I mean, you have Mitch McConnell uh, just recently today just, just to basically declare that the Russia probe is over. Uh, you know, he was, he was uh, leading the Senate when Obama uh, took the presidency and, and, you know, famously declared that he, uh, he was going to shut it down and make sure that Obama was a one-term president and veto everything right. or, or be able to block everything that, that – uh, Obama tried to do like how do you actually get stuff done when you're working with frankly and maybe it's on the Democratic side too I'm sure but really a Republican Senate that just doesn't seem to want to do anything in a bipartisan fashion well look and I think what Mitch McConnell did was unpatriotic and so you know he creates a unique set of challenges for people because he fundamentally puts his political interest ahead of the needs of the country which to me is the definition of someone who's not being patriotic. And what he said he would do for President Obama, which is to block everything that that, that man wanted to do, no matter whether it was good or not, just for his own political ambitions, again, I think is the definition of unpatriotic behavior. So really what you have to do, let's assume I'm president and I'm confronted with Mitch McConnell. What I really have to do is take the case to the American people and also try to you know, uh, work within his party, even if he's not on board with it. Let me give you an example. So climate change is obviously one of the big, big issues uh, for me and for pretty much every Democrat running. And we all have different approaches to how to deal with this, uh, what I think is a bit of an existential threat. But the difference between me and, and the other people running is that I've actually introduced the only big bipartisan legislation on climate change. And it was a carbon tax that puts a price on carbon, and it'll cut emissions by 90%. And we take all the money that it raises, which is a lot of money, and we give it right back to the American people in a dividend. So it's kind of tax neutral, right? You raise the price of fossil fuels through a tax, but then you take all the money and you dividend it right back to the American people. So the American people are kind of neutral, but in the meanwhile, behavior changes quite a bit. So when I led that effort in the Congress, I was able to get Republicans to support that. But if you look, the greatest amount of support was from Republicans in coastal states. So Republicans in Florida need to do something on climate change because the overwhelming majority of Republicans in Florida believe it's an issue. Even though maybe Republicans in Iowa, you know, are not as focused on addressing climate change, even though they should be. So as president, when I want to get this done in my first year as president, what I'm going to do is build a coalition of all the Democrats and the Republicans in, in coastal states. And I believe they'll break with um, McConnell on this because they have to do it. Now, if what, a, if what a president were to put forth is the Green New Deal as written, then you're not going to get any Republican support. You probably won't even get all the Democratic uh, Democrats to support it. So it's an example of something that may sound good, but is not good policy, 
and you have no opportunity to get things done. And in reality, what you do is you play right into Mitch McConnell's hands. Right? He sits there with that big smile on his face, and he leans back in his chair, and he basically figures out how he can destroy you politically with your policy proposal. Whereas with me, he's cornered because he's going to have the Republicans in his, uh, in his, you know, in the Senate, kind of who are in coastal states, are going to be saying, "Listen, we got to do something on this," and this is a proposal that can actually uh, make sense. So that's kind of how I think you have to think about it. You can't play into his hands. The more unfeasible our policy proposals are, the more we empower. Think of it. Think of him like a you know like a comic book character, right? And there's a certain type of stone that empowers him. The more we propose uh, proposals that don't make any sense, the more we empower him. Well, first of all, if you can quarter Mitch McConnell, that is you've just pulled. I feel like a Jedi mind trick uh, because that right. would be. Um, I mean, that is true. Like, how do you sit there and get? I think, how do you actually work bipartisan? That that is interesting. What do you worry though of? about losing some of the Democratic base in those efforts along the way, like losing, you know, your progressives or AOCs, you know, folks like that who have really brought a ton of energy back, I feel like, to the Democratic Party in a way that is uh, kind of a counterpunch to Donald Trump and to Mitch McConnell and, and, and those folks. Um, do you worry about losing them along the way in the, the sort of bipartisan coalitions you want to build? Well, here, here's the way I think about it. I think the energy they're bringing to the party is terrific. So I want to just be clear about that. But this, you know, sometimes in life you're playing defense and sometimes you're playing offense. And I think right now where we've been playing a lot of defense, right, particularly the last two years, right, we've got Trump in the White House, they've controlled the Congress. You know, now we got some back, right, by taking over the House. And by the way, we took, a, we took the House back with moderates, full stop. Right, moderates won all the competitive districts which is a lesson for us going forward. But the other thing to think about, I think that energy has been really terrific in terms of playing defense and creating a lot of support to stop, you know, them from gutting the Affordable Care Act and those kind of things. But as soon as we get a Democrat in the White House, we're going to want to play some big-time offense and start getting things done. So I think that energy will be channeled very productively towards accomplishing uh, some of these objectives. And so I think it's all going to be good. So, so tell me about one of those um, policy proposals you've already put forward. I, 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 just, I was reading a little bit about it on your website. It's uh, the Heartland Fair Deal. The Heartland Fa Fair Deal. Uh, what is it exactly? And did you in any way model it after the Green New Deal or uh, Donald Trump's The Art of the Deal? <laughs> well, I definitely didn't model it after Donald Trump's The Art of the Deal. <laughs> You know, listen, I was in business my whole career before I ran for Congress. I started two companies, took them public. And, uh, you know, I did what business leaders do, which is I paid my bills. I hired good people. I invested in our community. He didn't do any of those things. I was self-made. My dad was an electrician. His, his dad gave him $400 million bucks. You know, I quite frankly believe that if Donald Trump would have taken his dad's inheritance and put in the stock market, he'd be wealthier today than he is. Right, right. So I don't think there's a lot of good uh, – uh, deal skills there, to be honest with you. But everyone who uses the word deal, it obviously comes from the iconic New Deal, right. as we all know, which was uh, the only person who can really claim that is FDR. Uh, so every, everyone else who uses the word deal is just imitating something that deserves imitation, by the way, the New Deal, which was transformative. 
So, uh, you know, I, I, as, as a Democrat who believes in campaigning everywhere, you know, I, I don't want to look at this map anymore and see blue on the coast and red in the middle. That just makes me sick. Um, you know, so I want to go and fight in rural America and, and convince these voters that we have an agenda that matters to them. That's really where the Heartland Fair deal came from, right? Because what's happened in middle America and a lot of rural America is they've been drained of people and talent and opportunities. And uh, it's just terrible what we've let happen. And we need a real strategy to invest in these communities, to improve healthcare in these communities, and to reverse some of the trends that uh, we've seen over the last uh, several decades. Today's podcast is brought to you by Howard Dean. Just wanted to make sure you guys didn't forget me. When it comes to your priorities, give me your maybe top three to five priorities that you want to focus on in, in maybe how they how they differ in some ways from some of your competitors, whether it comes from Medicare or climate change, uh, sure. the economy. Well, let me start with helping workers because, you know, my dad was a union electrician, so I come from the Democratic Party that uh, represents a working person. So the first thing I want to do on tax policy is double the uh, – the earned income tax credit, which I'm calling the workers' tax credit, which is the best tax policy we have for hardworking families. And I want to pay for that by raising the capital gains rate. The capital gains rate is really uh, too low right now. We, we allow the investor class to pay about half in tax compared to the working class. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to be the president that evens that out by raising the capital gains rate and giving working Americans uh, a tax break with the workers' tax credit. So that's top of the list. Then I want to move on and address climate because it's a big problem. And I told you part of my climate plan, which is the carbon tax dividend, which is which will work and I'll get done. But then I also want to unleash an amazing amount of innovation in not only battery and transmission technologies, but negative emissions technologies, which are basically machines that suck carbon out of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. These things are proven, they work, but they're not of scale and they're way too expensive. But I think we can fix that problem by creating a market for them. So that's how I want to address climate. In terms of health care, the first thing I want to do is fix the Affordable Care Act, which I think you can do right away. And then I want to create a universal health care system, but I don't want to get rid of private insurance because I think that's a bad model and the American people will ultimately reject it. And it will result in health care being worse. I want to address artificial intelligence because I think AI and automation are really going to be massively disruptive to our economy and to our national security and to many other things. And I think we need a real strategy for dealing with it. I've called for national service to create an exciting program for every young American to serve their country when they graduate from high school. Not mandatory, but I wanted to have so many incentives that everyone wants to do it. They can join the military. They can do community service. They can join something called the Climate Corps, which will be young people going around the country and fixing up communities for sustainability and helping seniors make their homes sustainable. Or they can become part of the Infrastructure Corps, which is rebuilding national parks, that kind of stuff. So those are just you know, a quick rattle of some of the things I care about. Well, I want to focus on one of those things. I I could, I could uh, try to take up way too much of your time asking you about all of them, but one of them, because I know your background is in healthcare um, as an entrepreneur. um, How do you, how do you keep private insurance at the same time, make sure that everybody is covered? Like, how does that, how does that work? And, and, 
um, I guess, how is that, you know, different from like a Medicare for all type of plan? Well, well this, this is the issue with uh, private insurance and why it's important. Aside from the fact that a lot of Americans have private insurance and they kind of like it, by the way, you know, 70% of the American people have private insurance like their plan. So I just don't think it makes a lot of political sense to run on taking that away from people. It doesn't feel like we'll win a lot of elections. But putting that aside, there's also an economic problem. And, and, and it's really – what state are you in, by the way? Well, uh, the the uh, very rural uh, uh, conservative state of California. Um, oh, so you're in California. <laughs> yeah. Got it. So, so you're not going to necessarily have the problem I'm talking about, but you got it a little bit. You know, Medicaid, which is the largest health care program in this country, is a government program that's administered by the state that takes care of low-income Americans. Medicaid only pays 80% of the cost of health care. So if you and I were to run a hospital and all we were to take is Medicaid, we'd lose 20% and we'd quickly close. The next biggest program in healthcare is Medicare, which is a more successful program but still has its limitations. Medicare only pays 95% of costs. So if you and I were to run a hospital and only take Medicare patients, we'd lose 5% and we would ultimately close, take a little longer than if we just took Medicaid, but we'd ultimately close. And commercial insurance pays about 115 to 120% of costs. So we have a lot of evidence to suggest that if the government were the only payers of the bills, that uh, they would never pay costs. And, and to really make this point uh, or take or, you know, make it home, if you will, I go to rural hospitals all the time. And I always ask them a simple question, which is if last year all your commercial insurance bills were paid by Medicare instead of commercial insurance, how would that have gone for you? And they all look at me and, and pretty quickly say, well, we would close. So the big problem with getting rid of private insurance is private insurance actually provides a lot of the funding that the healthcare market needs to invest in new facilities, to create the incentive for people to go to medical school, to justify the innovation uh, that you know uh, researchers do. And if the government basically just paid the bills, we've got a lot of evidence to suggest that they're never going to play, pay costs because of the political process. Right. So that's going to result in a worse health care system for the American people. And that's why a single-payer system is a bad model, ultimately. Now, that doesn't mean everyone shouldn't have health care as a right. I think they should. I think every American is a right should get a health care plan from the government. But it shouldn't be the exclusive plan that's available for them, meaning they should be able to opt out and get private insurance if they want it, or they should be able to buy supplemental plans like Medicare beneficiaries do. So I favor a mixed model where you have a mix of a government plan that everyone gets as a right, but also giving them the ability to, to get additional options through private insurance. That's just a common way to Right. You were a congressman, like I mentioned earlier, from 2013 to 2019. What was your greatest accomplishment in that time? Well, I think there's two things I'm really proud of. The first is I did a lot of work for our veterans. And I had the privilege of representing a lot of the men and women who have served our country. And uh, I got a whole bunch of things done for them. You know, whether it's veteran housing or whether it's things dealing with... Uh, you know, the fact that so many of them are, uh, you know, we've had this spike in veteran homelessness or dealing with the fact that many of them are preyed on by predatory lenders 
we're dealing with the fact that you know their the health care uh, that they receive is not as good as it should be. So that at the end of the day, I'll always look back at and and have great pride that the the men and women who served our country, I was able to serve them and do something for them. Mm-hmm. The second thing I was really proud of is a more general thing, which is, you know, I was ranked the third most bipartisan member of Congress. And I don't think bipartisanship is a dirty word. I think it's something we should strive for. And the reason we should strive for it is because it's the only way to get anything done. If you look at all the things we celebrate now, you know, all these candidates run on Medicare and Social Security and all these great things. And they talk about sending someone to the moon and we need to do all that stuff again. But what they never mention is those things were all done when the country came together and there was broad support, including bipartisan support of the Congress. So I think if someone who thinks bipartisanship is a dirty word, they might as well run on the fact that they don't want to do anything. So, you know, I'm very proud of my record of getting things done and working with people. Uh, two more questions for you. Um, I noticed, let me, what's, your, what's your stance on, on, uh, on impeachment? With, with what's going on. I mean, there's a lot of talk about that. I feel like you probably uh, wouldn't want to necessarily focus on that on, on the campaign trail, but like where it stands now, I mean, I've got to ask you about it. Like, how do you feel? How do you feel about it? So, look, and I think it's ultimately up to the Congress, and I'm not in the Congress, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I kind of agree with Nancy Pelosi, which is uh, not something they should focus on. They should focus on their investigative uh, responsibilities. And, um, See that. See where that takes them. Mm-hmm. If you were to ask me, do I think the president has committed offenses that could be considered impeachable? The answer to that is yes. But that doesn't mean we should impeach him because impeachment is, at the end of the day, a political process. And anyone who tells you otherwise is just not being honest. Right. Right. Because no one has ever defined what a high crime and misdemeanor is. You kind of know it when you see it. And I think the president has done things like continue to run a hotel and accept money from foreign governments, which is in violation of the emoluments clause. Yeah. And I'm a plaintiff on a lawsuit suing him over that. I think that's corruption to the American people. And I think if the majority of the American people wanted him removed, you could impeach him on that. Right. But unless we get into a situation where the significant majority of the American people want the president removed, which is not what we have today, then impeachment is ultimately a divisive issue that doesn't accomplish anything. Right. That's fair. I think that, you know, corruption is the thing that stands out. You mentioned that. I think it's, 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 uh, well, well, he's corrupt. And, you know, I mean, look at nepotism, which you know what that is, which yeah. is promoting your family members as opposed to the best and the brightest. It's Javanka, right? There. Nepotism, nepotism is a form of corruption. Right. Because what you do when you engage in nepotism when you're in the government is you say to yourself, well, I have this cherished office that is really owned by the people of the United States of America, mm. and I serve them, and I'm going to use this office to promote one of my family members. Like, does anyone really think Jared Kushner is the best person in the world to deal with Middle East peace? <laughs> you know, just, just, um, just throwing that out there. <laughs> so when you decide to make Jared Kushner in charge of Middle East peace, what you're saying is I'm going to take this office, which is really the property of the United States of America, and I'm going to use it for the benefit of my family. That is corruption. Right. That Plain and simple. That's a, that's a fantastic opener, by the way. Do you, really, Jared Kushner, guys, that's the best we got? I mean, if you made a list of uh, 5 million people, I don't think you'd be on that list. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I, I just, you know, so you've got that. You've got the emoluments clause. You know, the, the president never played by the rules in his life. Why, why should we expect him to play by the rules now? But there's a way of dealing with this, and it's called the 2020 election. Yeah. 
And we put up a candidate like me who will kick his ass at the ballot box. <laughs> That's the Irishman I like to hear right there, John. <laughs> Last question. Uh, so you come out, you, you, you beat Biden, you beat Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, you win the nomination, uh, you defeat Donald Trump, you kick his ass. Um, what is, you're going out to make your acceptance speech as president of the United States in 2020. What is your walkout song? Land of Hope and Dreams by Bruce Springsteen. The boss. That's right. Okay. I like it. You good with that? I'm good with that. I'm good with that. All right. We can run on that. Uh, thank you so much for being my guest. Uh, John Delaney, I appreciate you uh, being being with me on the show. Um, good luck. I know you're running a hard ground game in Iowa, and um, I will be, uh, I'll be following you all the way through. And um, I will say, I, I would love to get a mind eraser, perhaps. All right, you're going to get one. Maybe, maybe a Delaney caucus cooler, too. It, it, just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. You're just saying. Just saying. <laughs> Thanks How about I send you my book? You're not asking for my book. I'll, I'll take the book. Can, can, can I get an autograph? Can I? You get an autograph book. Can it say the real Irishman or something like that? You, you got know? it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I uh, I can't wait for that. Uh, and once once I get that, I'm gonna I'm gonna post a picture of myself with it. Great. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, John. All right. Bye. Today's podcast is brought to you by Howard Dean. Just wanted to make sure you guys didn't forget me. Ha! <laughs>